This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, April 11th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. The education bubble is showing signs of stress, but constant massive federal subsidies aren't helping reform American higher ed. Glenn Reynolds is a professor of law at the University of Tennessee. He spoke about higher ed at the Cato Institute's Benefactors Summit in February. Thank you very much. Well, it's great to be here. I've been a Cato fan and supporter for a long time. Uh, Actually, my most recent book is called The New School, How the Information Age Will Save American Education from Itself. I don't think it's on my UT bio yet, though. Uh, But I kind of got into talking about education by accident. Um, The idea of a higher education bubble isn't really mine. Uh, It seems to have gotten its big kick with an article in the Chronicle of Higher Education by Joseph Mark Cronin and Howard Horton in 2009. But I've been writing about it a long time. Uh, I wrote some newspaper articles for the Washington Examiner and uh, the New York Post and some other places. Uh, And then Roger Kimball, who some of you may know uh, at Encounter Books, said, why don't you write something for me about this. So I wrote one of their broadsides, which is like kind of like an Atlantic Monthly feature article in a freestanding booklet. And then he said, why don't you do something on K-12, too? I was like, okay. So I wrote something called the K-12 Implosion, which is about what's going on with K-12. And then those did well enough that he said, why don't you write a full-length book on all of this? And I was like, oh, what the hell, in for a dime, in for a dollar. Uh, So I did. Uh, My take on all of this, we're in a situation where the problem with everything from kindergarten to postgraduate education is that every year it costs more, and every year the return actually goes down. Uh, And my whole take on it is based on uh, a statement of Herb Stein's, uh, sometimes called Stein's Law, uh, which is that when something can't go on forever, it won't. And what, it's, a, it's simple yet powerful. Uh, what can't go on forever and thus won't is education getting more expensive every year with the payoff staying the same or going down. And that's what's happening. In higher education, college tuitions have gone up 440% over the last 25 years. That's more than four times the rate of inflation over the same period and much faster than the growth of family income, which has just barely outpaced the rate of inflation. Uh, That can't go on forever, because what's happened is people made up the difference with debt, mostly student loan debt. Back before the housing bubble burst, uh, people often financed juniors' college education with home equity loans. Not so much anymore, because to get a home equity loan, you have to have home equity. So what can't go on forever? A rise in tuition faster than the rise in household income. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how we've gotten here, what's going on, and what's going to happen after the bubble bursts. And I will stress that it's not all bad news, although the news is probably the worst for people like me, tenured professors who had a very cushy setup over the last several decades. And that is a tragedy. (laughs) Well, one of the problems we have with education is the growth of what Historically, it's kind of an un-American idea, which is the idea that you're not somebody unless you've got a college degree. For most of American history, that wasn't true. Colleges were essentially finishing schools for the rich, training schools perhaps for future uh, ministers and so on, but not in any way seen as something that was essential for respectable middle-class people to have gone to. Uh, That kind of changed. The GI Bill led to the idea of college as sort of a passport to the middle class. 
Uh, a lot of people went to colleges. Colleges, of course, like rational income maximizers, expanded their enrollment to handle all these incoming GI Bill people. Then as they started to fade out, the baby boomers hit colleges, and that got an extra boost because uh, in the Vietnam era, people went to college in the hopes of getting a draft deferment. This led to a number of eminent U.S. politicians pursuing divinity degrees for an extra deferment. Um, then as that faded out in the 70s, uh, the government came to the rescue with increased student uh, aid. So we got uh, Pell Grants, we got guaranteed student loans, we got a variety of other things that in essence uh, favored people going to college and encouraged them to be fairly insensitive to prices. Uh, and people also thought college was worth it. The conventional wisdom among sort of consumer financial advisors until just the last few years was that college loans were so-called good debt because the expectation of boosted future incomes made it worth borrowing money to go to college. Um, this was true for a while, but with college costs going up much faster than the returns on a college degree, it became less true with each passing year. Uh, we also found employers using college degrees as a signaling tool, especially after the Supreme Court case of Griggs against Duke Power made employer testing of applicants uh, risky. Uh, meanwhile, in the colleges, well, you're all probably familiar with public choice theory, and public choice theory says that institutions are run for the benefit of the people who run them rather than the sensible mission of the institution. Uh, people who run universities are, well, primarily administrators and secondarily faculty. Uh, and what we got was a university system that was optimized for extracting the greatest amount of federal subsidies and the highest welfare for faculty members and administrators. Uh, no, yeah, they tried to teach you some stuff along the way. Uh, so the result was something where faculty uh, members got reduced teaching loads, uh, more time for research. They were rewarded for research to a greater degree than for teaching because that was more important. Uh, that somebody still had to teach the classes, though, so we started bringing in low-paid adjuncts and TAs for whom English was often a third language uh, and so on. Uh, actually, one of the interesting things is if you look, you know, people on the left have this sort of Marxist view of exploitation and uh, sort of uh, savage uh, abuse of underlings, and the two places you find this are in the two most leftist uh, parts of the economy, which are Hollywood and higher education. Administration grew even faster than faculty because, let's face it, the people who really run universities are not faculty but administrators. Um, we now have a situation where there are actually more administrators than teaching faculty across the United States and, and many institutions. The imbalance is quite substantial. Uh, a study by the Goldwater Institute from Arizona, which many of you may know, from 2010 found that the growth in administrative bloat was actually the major reason for college tuition increases, uh, the largest one. Uh, from 1983 to 2007, expenditures and employment of administrators rose twice as fast as for teaching faculty. The ideal university from the standpoint of administrators would actually have no faculty or students at all. <laughs> There's a terrific book on this by a Johns Hopkins professor named Benjamin Ginsburg called The Fall of the Faculty and the Rise of the All-Administrative University, uh, and that is indeed the trend. Uh, some of this is the fault of federal regulations which encourage administrators to administer them. Uh, a lot of it is also just by the tendency of administrators to measure their own self-importance by how many people report to them. And in fact, again, it makes sense. A university is a nonprofit. There are no shareholders to send excess profits to. 
so the administrators who really run the place uh, take money and they say, well, what will make my life better? Well, I can get a higher salary, and that's nice up to a point. Uh, I get more people who report to me. That makes me more important and means there are other people to do my work, so I get to do less. Uh, and most of the uh, rise in income to higher education was basically dissipated uh, in terms of increased administration uh, and the like. Uh, also, you had competition for students, which leads to a certain amount of gold plating, fancier dorms, fancier cafeterias, fancier athletic facilities. Uh, being a college student today is a much less Spartan experience in most places uh, than it was a generation or two ago. So where are we now? Well, we're now at the point where the cost of a year at a private school costs more than the median family income. And in fact, the cost of an out-of-state public university costs more than the median family income. Uh, and even the cost of an in-state public university, where you're supposedly subsidized, is really pretty high. It's often $30,000 a year or more, which means that a four-year college degree costs into the six figures. And here's the other bad news. Most students don't graduate in four years. In fact, only about two-thirds of students graduate in six years. And there's now reason to think that many of the factors that have enabled this situation are coming to an end. Now, you get a bubble when an asset's price grows faster than its value based on its income-generating potential warrants. And this is what's happening with college. People go to college because they believe a college degree will cause them to earn more in the future. But for many people now, the increase in earnings for the college degree is not sufficient to justify the investment it takes to get the college degree. In fact, there's a funny thing in The Onion. The Onion is a parody site, but it's kind of hard to tell nowadays. Um, and they had a piece about a 30-year-old college graduate who was exulting because he realized he had earned $11 more than he would have if he hadn't gone to college. And that's actually, for some people, a best-case scenario because Many people at 30 are in fact behind. By the time you take in the foregone income of the four to six years they've spent in college, plus the debt they incurred to go to college, plus the interest on the debt, which is substantial, uh, they're in the hole rather than $11 ahead. Uh, and people are starting to realize that. And you really actually see it in popular culture now. Just over the last couple of years, I mean, when I first started writing on this stuff, which was like in 2009, roughly five years ago, uh, I got a lot of pushback from people who said, oh, well, everybody knows college makes you more money. Uh, this is ridiculous. Uh, college is the best investment you can make, yada, yada, yada. Now, if you look in pop culture, you see stuff like the Onion satire. Um, my daughter sent me a song about, you know, what do I do with a BA in English? It was on YouTube. Um, there are lots of subplots in TV sitcoms and stuff about how people go to college and can't get a real job. Uh, and, in fact, uh, if you watch even the financial advice shows like Susie Orman or Dave Ramsey or Clark Howard, uh, what they tell you is student loan debt is not good debt. It's terrible debt because when you go to college, you take on all this debt. And the best case scenario is, say you go to college and you major in industrial engineering and you graduate and you make $100,000 a year. Well, that's pretty good, although it's actually easy to wind up graduating from college with more than $100,000 in student loan debt, in which case $100,000 a year job is still not that great. But all the risk is on you. If you go to college and you don't graduate, or you graduate with bad grades and you don't get a job, or all kinds of other things go wrong, the job market goes south and suddenly industrial engineering looks like not such a good deal, you've still got the debt. 
and it's not dischargeable in bankruptcy, and you're hosed. And in fact, the stories you see now talk about things like people who are unmarriageable because nobody wants to marry somebody with so much student loan debt. <laughs> Literally. And the Federal Reserve did a study on housing markets and found that one of the big drags on the housing market is that people who are a few years out of college who traditionally would have been buying starter homes, or for that matter, cars and things like that that boost the economy, can't afford it because they've got so much student loan debt. So it's, it's now to the point where people are realizing, in fact, my model for watching this bubble spread goes back to the AIDS epidemic. Because they did this research in the 80s when AIDS was a big thing, what it took to get people to start practicing safe sex. And what they found was it didn't matter how many public service ads they saw, or how many pamphlets they read, or how many posters were stuck up in the subway stations, it turned out the main thing that caused people to change their behavior was when somebody they knew got AIDS. It didn't have to be somebody they knew well. It could be somebody they barely knew, a friend of a friend of a friend. But that would change their behavior. But what you're seeing now is more and more people who are of an age to go to college know somebody, an older brother of a friend or a cousin or something like that, who graduated college, can't get a job, is living in their parents' basement, where a shocking percentage of Americans under 35 live today. And as a result, they're much more reluctant to take on debt. And that is, in fact, putting pressure on college enrollments and on college tuitions to the point where most colleges now are still dealing with sub rosa, with discounting. Discounting is called financial aid. But all, dis all financial aid is in most colleges is a way to engage in price discrimination. We, you know, we'll figure out exactly how much blood you can give us without keeling over, and that's what we'll take. Um, but they are di I hear some parents in the audience getting that point. Um, there's a lot of that, but the number of schools are, are now openly rolling back tuition, sometimes in substantial amounts. Uh, Ashbrook University, or Ashland University cut it back 37%. The University of the South at Swanee cut it 10% and introduced a lock-in. A lot of schools are now locking tuition. Uh, and that's just the beginning. In my own world of legal education, the bubble's already burst. Enrollments in legal education have dropped drastically. We have less than half the number of applicants that we had five or six years ago. Uh, many schools are in actual financial trouble. And when the schools are in financial trouble, the universities they're attached to are often in financial trouble because law schools have traditionally been such a cash cow. When Catholic universities' law school had to slash tuition to keep its enrollment up, Catholic universities as a whole had to cut expenses by about 20% to make up for the lost income from the law school. Uh, some law schools are in danger of closing. Uh, some are actually laying off tenured faculty. The worst nightmare I can imagine. Um, uh, and the reason for that is the same. People are looking at it and saying, well, it costs a lot to go, and the prospects of getting a job that will pay off the debt are lower. Uh, well, that's happening. Uh, exactly when the college bubble is going to burst to the same degree is hard to say. Ability to borrow is topping out. Student loan debts have reached or surpassed what people can really maintain. Word is reaching the public, and you're beginning to see stuff. In fact, actually, a number of really tony liberal arts colleges uh, have had their credit rating reduced to junk or near junk by Moody's because Moody's just says, we don't think your business model works. We don't think you can charge people $60,000 a year for a liberal arts degree uh, into the future. Uh, Yeshiva universities reduced to junk. I mean, that's, that's a real school. Um, 
So all of this is happening, and when it's going to really go downhill for undergraduate education, the way it's gone for law schools, it's hard to say, because law school education is seen as a little bit more optional and a little bit more economically focused than undergraduate education, but we're close. We're very close. And the summary of the problem is from something Barmak Nasirian, who's the executive director for the American Association of Collegiate Registrars said, the working American family is not accumulating assets sufficient to cover college costs. Well, if the working American family isn't accumulating assets sufficient to cover college costs, then college costs will have to go down. Or the working American family, on average, will not go to college. Either of those is a disaster for higher education, especially the latter. So what are we going to see? Well, a number of alternatives, I think. Uh, people take out fewer student loans. They will go to cheaper schools. A lot of people go to community college, which in many areas is free for the first couple of years to hold down costs. Uh, we're even seeing a trend, according to the Washington Post, of upper middle class people choosing to go into the skilled manual trades. Now, the sad thing about the Post story was that most of the people going into the manual trades uh, that they talked to, at least, were people who had gone to college, run up a lot of debt, couldn't get a job, and then said, mm, being an electrician isn't such a bad deal. And you know, it's not. Uh, one of my colleagues and I were talking a while back about one of Michael Lynn's pieces about how the working class is getting screwed. And my colleague said, well, it was a really persuasive piece, or at least it would have been if I hadn't seen my electrician's house. Um, and in fact, I talked about this. I was at the Manhattan Institute talking about this, and a guy came up to me afterward, and he said, you know, it's funny you say that, because I dropped out of college to become an electrician, you know, 40 years ago, and I've got a specialty, and I make $360 an hour. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, the sad thing about the Post story was that many of these people had already run up a lot of student loan debt before they decided to go into the skilled trades, because high school guidance counselors are programmed to send people to college. But I think that's going to change, too. Uh, as student loan debt is perceived increasingly as toxic, and it is, uh, people are going to take a different position than they used to take. And as more and more students and parents become unwilling to run up debt, uh, we're going to see a uh, shift to alternatives. And those alternatives may be cheaper ways of getting a college degree, they may be substitutes for a college degree, or for some people, honestly, it may be just a return of slacker culture. Because the sad thing about American society today is, while it's probably harder than ever to really get ahead, it's easier than ever to just barely get by. And the quality of life for people who want to just barely get by is really not bad. You've got cable TV, or now internet TV, nobody gets cable anymore. Um, you know, online porn, hookup culture, what's not to like? Who needs a job? Or at least a well-paying job. Uh, so the other problem, the sort of scissors effect on college education is, while the costs have gone up, if anything, the value has gone down. Uh, lots of evidence suggests that people are learning less than ever in college, even as the prices are higher. So the American Council of Trustees and Alumni surveyed 700 schools. They found that many of these schools have basically no requirements at all. Students are studying 50% less than they were a couple of decades ago. And at the risk of sounding like a curmudgeon, I don't believe the early 90s were like the high point of American academic uh, achievement. Uh, you've probably heard of Academically Adrift, the book by Richard Aram and Joseph Roxa, where they surveyed college students and found that 45% of them demonstrated no significant improvement of learning in the first two years of college. 36% didn't demonstrate any significant improvement of learning in four years of college. 
And remember, this is a six-figure tag. I mean, imagine that I have a Pinto and that I buy a Ferrari. And after buying the Ferrari, I demonstrate no substantial improvement in automotive excellence. <laughs> That's what's going on. So what do we look for as signs of a bursting bubble? Well, some we're already seeing. Bankruptcies, uh, which are likely to be first among the expensive but lower tier colleges. We're starting to see that. Heavy tuition discounting. We're seeing that. A reluctance among even well-off students to pay full freight, and we're starting to see that. Because one of the things that happens is, once you realize the deal, if you're one of those parents who doesn't qualify for any financial aid, but you realize it's basically a price discrimination scam, you feel like a sucker. Yes, say some people out there. <laughs> Probably a lot of people. People don't like to feel like suckers. Uh, we're going to see movements of non-marginal students uh, in large numbers to for-profit and online alternatives or to non-college tracks altogether. That we're just barely beginning to see, but I think it's there. Uh, and we're going to see general culture moves away from a college or bust philosophy. It has been the deal for the last 20 or 30 years that if you didn't go to college, you couldn't really be a member of the middle class or at least the upper middle class. Even if, even if you were one of those electricians who earned an income that qualified you, quite clearly, uh, the college degree was what marked you. As college degrees get to be associated more and more with unemployment and debt, I think the prestige factor will decline. We're going to see a much stronger emphasis, and we're already seeing this, among applicants and students on courses of study that are likely to produce employment. And people criticize that as some kind of, you know, mercantilism. But the fact is, you know, when I went to college, you could pay your way through, even at some pretty good private schools, uh, by working your way through. You can't do that now. It's, even at a, most state schools, you're looking at a six-figure tab for four years, and it often takes five or six to graduate. Uh, that means you're really looking at the price of a Ferrari, as I mentioned. Well, nobody says to an 18-year-old, you know what will really improve your life? Buy a Ferrari on credit. <laughs> so the notion that you should major in, I mean, President Obama was dissing art history, which got him a lot of blowback recently, but the idea that you should major in something that won't pay for itself in increased earnings just because you'll enjoy it. Well, you'll enjoy a Ferrari, too, but uh, you know what the difference is? If somebody's stupid enough to loan you money for a Ferrari at 18, and you decide it was a mistake and you can't pay it back, you could get it discharged in bankruptcy. But if you get a degree in women's studies and you're $150,000 in debt when you graduate, it's not dischargeable in bankruptcy. It will haunt you to the end of your life, to the point where there are literally people right now having their social security checks garnished for unpaid student loan debts. So it will only get worse. What else do we look for? Well, here's something we're only beginning to see which is insiders bailing out. That's one of the big signs of a bubble about to burst. Professors and administrators leaving for private industry. Uh, professors' kids doing something different. We're not quite there yet, but that's something to keep an eye for. Um, so what do you do? Well, what's the single best way to protect yourself against a bubble? It's to avoid debt. Bubbles get people in trouble because they borrow uh, against what they think is going to be a continuously rising value of an asset. 
Uh, then when the asset falls, they've still got the debt and the asset's not worth it. Uh, don't do that. I tell people, I don't, I don't quite tell people not to borrow to go to school, but I tell them, you probably shouldn't borrow to go to school. <laughs> and if you do borrow to go to school, bear this in mind. You may think this major will pay off your loans, and you may be right, but your best case scenario, say you're one of my law students, your best case scenario for your law student is, I'll borrow a lot of money to go to law school, uh, and I will go get a job on Wall Street at a law firm where I can make starting salary of $180,000 to $200,000 a year. That's pretty good. But say you've got $180,000 in student loan debt when you take that job. You know what's wrong with that then? Even if you win, even if you graduate, even if you get that job, you're stuck in that job. And you know why those jobs pay so much? Because they suck. <laughs> One of my law professors said, Lawyers get paid a lot of money for the same reason garbage men get paid a lot of money. People wouldn't do it for less. And it's even worse if you're working for this law firm and they know you have to have the job to pay your student loan debt. Then they'll really screw you. So, you know, that's, and that's, remember, is your best case scenario. You have to, as you plan your career out as an 18-year-old or whatever, you decide what to borrow, you have to allow for the possibility that it won't work out. You'll turn out not to be good at whatever you major in, or you'll turn out to hate it so much you can't stand the thought of doing it, or the market will change and you'll graduate with your degree. And when, you know, when I was in college, chemical engineering was the big thing. And people were making a lot of money out of college in chemical engineering. But by the time I actually graduated college, oil prices had plummeted, chemical engineers didn't make as much money. It was no longer such a good deal. Huh, too bad. So, allow for that. And when you do all that thinking, it's not a good idea to take a lot of loan for very much. I mean, if you're, if you're a super genius and you go to MIT, well, actually, if you're a super genius and you go to MIT, you probably don't have to borrow any money. Uh, you know, if you want to go to Juilliard and you're the best violin player alive, yeah, it's a good deal, but most people aren't. So it's generally not a, a good deal. This is also true for institutions. Um, a number of colleges and universities are in trouble because they borrowed money uh, against reduced tuition income to build buildings and do other things and now they're having trouble because they've got all this debt and they've got these bonds and such and uh, now their enrollment's shrinking and they're in trouble. Uh, it's not a good idea. So what's going to happen? Well bubbles are painful but the real damage in a bubble is done during the boom when the capital is misallocated. You know, to majors in women's studies or stuff like that. That's, that's my whipping boy. Professor Obama has art history, you know, whatever. Um, the harm is investing a lot of money in women's studies or something like that and running up debt to enroll in them. Not so much the collapse in demand once people realize that it's a mistake. That's just when you realize the harm that's taken place. We need to focus on the real societal value of education, not just the apparent value. And that means a real change. Because right now, well, a college education can help you in three ways. First, it can actually make you more economically productive by teaching you skills that are valued in the marketplace. Computer programming, nursing, engineering, women's studies, not so much. Well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't dump all that. I mean, the truth is, you could teach an interesting course in any subject, whether it's women's studies, art history, or even the Occupy movement. Uh, but in terms of getting a job, that's a different story. Uh, but one way that 
an education could be worthwhile is it actually teaches you things that make you more economically productive. Second, it can provide a credential that employers want, not even necessarily because it represents actual skills, but just because it's a weeding tool that doesn't produce civil rights suits the way, say, an IQ test might. A four-year college degree, even if you don't actually learn anything useful, shows that you can show up on time, you can generally follow instructions, you can get along with other people reasonably well, well enough not to get expelled anyway, and so on. And third, a college degree, at least an elite one, but actually any of them, may hook you up with a useful social network that'll help you in the future. This is more true probably if it's a degree from Yale than if it's a degree from, say, Eastern Kentucky University, uh, unless you're gonna be in Eastern Kentucky, in which case maybe not. But the thing is, while an individual might rationally pursue college for all three of these reasons, only the first one, actual added skills, produces any net return for society. The other two are just about dividing up the pie. They're purely distributional. They're not about improving the output of goods. They're just about who gets them. But today's college education system, if you look at it, if you read the brochures, seems to be at least as much, and probably more, about selling parts two and three than part one, plus the hard-to-quantify college experience, which, as often as not, boils down to four, five, six, possibly seven years of partying. Post-bubble, I think you're going to see a lot more emphasis on part one, because that's what it takes to actually make it worthwhile. On a societal scale, if we're going to invest a lot of money in education, and we have been, it needs to pay off with a lot of increase in societal wealth, and it's not so clear that it's done. There'll still be a market for finishing schools for networking among the elites. Those niches will be comparatively small. And when the bubble bursts, what happens is things retreat until they reach a sustainable level. That probably means a shrinkage, especially, I mean, the most vulnerable sector is expensive private schools that don't have a strong reputation and placement record. It probably also means a growth in cheaper alternatives. Georgia Tech offers an online master's in computer science that costs about $7,000 uh, compared to their residential on-campus degree, which costs something over $50,000, and it's a comparable degree. We'll see more stuff like that. Um, we'll see the same thing in K-12, by the way. Uh, if I were looking for a growth area, I think I would look at the booming interest in independent certification. College degrees are, to a large degree, for employers a substitute for that. But there are a number of independent certification uh, projects in the works, and I think you'll see more. Uh, both the ETS people and the ACT people are now looking at things that certify that people who have graduated college actually learned something useful there, which is as much of an indictment of the existing system as I can imagine. Uh, there's also the Collegiate Learning Assessment Plus, which is focused more on work skills uh, which is aimed at that. I think you'll see more of that. And you know, one future of education might, in fact, be something uh, that looks kind of like more like how Abraham Lincoln learned to become a lawyer. That is, you learn your law, and then you take the bar, and then you're certified okay to be a lawyer, and you become a law. And the growth of things like apprenticeship models and certification is, I think, a big future uh, ahead. Now, when I talk about the higher education bubble bursting, it's certainly not the end of higher education any more than the bursting of the dot-com bubble was the end to internet commerce or the bursting of the housing bubble was the end of houses or, or anything like that. But it will mean a realignment that a lot of people will find uncomfortable, especially people who are doing pretty well 
before, like me. Uh, but for others, it's going to be a source of real opportunities. I mean, the truth is, uh, people like me have been doing pretty well, but for the last couple of decades, our students have been doing increasingly not as well. They've been running up more and more debt. Their job prospects have not matched the pain and suffering they've had to get through the system. Uh, and a realignment will do something that most people in academia are usually for, which is it will involve a redistribution of resources from fat cats who are doing well, me uh, and my ilk, uh, to people who are not doing so well, which is our students and graduates. I predict, however, that there'll be less enthusiasm for this change than you might predict based on prior statements. Glenn Reynolds is a professor of law at the University of Tennessee. He spoke at the Cato Institute's Benefactors Summit in February. You can learn more about our higher ed woes at our website, cato.org.